Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Scott Casagrande was director of bands at John Hersey High School in Arlington Heights, Illinois for 22 years and retired in June of 2021 after completing 33 years of teaching in the Illinois public schools. He taught high school, middle school, and elementary students in suburban, urban, and rural settings over the course of his teaching career. Currently, Mr. Casagrande serves uh, Music for All as a music education consultant. He's also an administrator for the Dr. William P. Foster Project, serving bands in underserved communities. He is a past president of the National Band Association and was a member of the NBA Executive Board from 2012 to 2020. I am proud to say that he is also an education consultant for Music First. Under Mr. Casagrande's direction, the John Hersey Symphonic Band and Jazz Ensemble performed as a featured ensemble in the Midwest International Band and Orchestra Clinic. They were selected to perform in 23 Illinois Superstate Concert Band Festivals, two Illinois Music Educators Association Conventions, and four Music for All National Concert Band Festivals. The Hersey Symphonic Band was named the Illinois Superstate Concert Band Festival Honor Band four times, and the band program was awarded the Sudler Flag of Honor by the Sousa Foundation. In addition, jazz ensembles under Mr. Casagrande's direction were grand champions at the Purdue Jazz Festival and the Jazz in the Meadows Festival several times. Scott received his BS and MS in music education at the University of Illinois. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what better way to start off the fourth season of our podcast here at Music First than to interview uh, a gentleman who's very, very well known in the band world here in the United States and is the newest member of uh, the Music First staff uh, helping us out as an education consultant. Uh, Mr. Scott Casagrande. So Scott, welcome to the show. We're kicking off season four and uh, we're so happy to have you. I'm excited to be here, Jim. It's uh, it's an honor and a privilege to talk about technology with you and uh, an honor and a privilege to be uh, able to share some thoughts with others in hopes that it'll help them. Well, that's Terrific. So before we dive into the question, Scott, in case anybody is not familiar with your work or doesn't know of you, can you just give us like a, a five or minute or so kind of overview of your career in music education, not only including this, you know, the, the classroom teaching, but also your leadership roles? Sure. Um, the older generation of band directors in the United States are probably familiar with my father, John Casagrande, who was a successful band director and educator uh, for decades as a high school band director and then as a professor at George Mason University. Um, so I've always had a pretty clear compass as to what I think education, music education should do for students uh, and a higher calling for 
musicianship in general. Uh, I just retired after 33 years of teaching. Uh, in Congratulations. Illinois. Yeah. yeah I <laughs> and what it. a year to retire after. Yeah, wow. yeah, 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 it definitely was. But I also felt, you know, last year with the pandemic, not to get off on a tangent, but music education was more important than it ever was uh, before last year to me, because kids really needed one, the social outlet and two, the music outlet. Uh, I think it was really important for them to have that every day. Um, you know, the social emotional learning uh, push in education right now was happening every day in our classroom last year. And as I said, never more important than last year. But yeah, so I made it through uh, the year and it was really successful. I don't know if many of my colleagues would be able to say that, but um, I, I felt good about what happened last year. We made the most out of what we were given with the pandemic. But um, the last 22 years, I've been at John Hersey High School in suburban Chicago. Um, I also, about six years ago, was hired by Music for All, which is an events company, uh, non-for-profit here in the United States, most known for their marching band um, events, but also the National Festival which is held in Indianapolis every March is a concert event. And that is what I was affiliated with. And I also started regional uh, festivals all over the country. We started with three, including our event at Hersey High School, the Chicagoland Band Festival. And as of last year, we're up to 26 events, um, which should all be up and running this year. So that's exciting Amazing. for music for all. Um, I also, as president of the National Band Association, up until 2018 for two years, I uh, started uh, uh, an organization called the Dr. William P. Foster Project, which serves bands in underserved communities. Um, yeah, so through work for Music for All and the National Band Association, and now uh, Music First Software, I'm excited to be con continuing to, to contribute uh, to music education, as well as many of my colleagues uh, bringing me in to uh, work with their bands, you know. Uh, so yeah, I've been pretty busy. Um, yeah. So, so I, now this is a curveball, and I don't know if you said it, I don't think you did. What's your major instrument? Oh, uh, I'm a trombone player. And oh, there that you is, go. Right. Yeah, I'm also very excited uh, to tell you um, that after 25 years of not playing my trombone since my oldest daughter was born, uh, I started practicing again uh, in early June as soon as I retired and stopped celebrating. Uh, and awesome. and we're gonna I'm gonna play in a community band here uh, in the Chicago area in the fall. I'm it's just been I'm I'm nervous about getting through my life and not having that music making. So it's been a, a real joy. But thanks for that uh, opportunity. To yeah, talk no, that's about. awesome. I think too many of us when we get um you know I I've, I've got uh, my my younger daughter is 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 going to be applying to college, uh, and so things will be getting a little less uh, frenetic in my life, um, I can't wait to go back and join uh, a community band. My, my tuba valves, uh, when I play probably once every other year for a tuba Christmas, just to remind myself that I actually play an instrument and that I got into this 
because I enjoyed playing my instrument. That's why I'm here at Music First today is because of the tuba, believe it or not. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but my, I have to spend a little time getting my valves to <laughs> get unstuck every year. So um, I, I, I hear you loud and clear and, uh, you know, maybe five, 10, 15 years down the road when it's my turn to think about retiring, I will uh, absolutely be playing in a band. That's great to hear, Scott. I'm, I'm sure you enjoy it. I was I was shocked at how I mean this sounds bad, but I was shocked at how good I sound. Yeah, exactly, it's like it's like riding a bike, right? It's just, as soon yeah. as you get that embouchure back, I you know. And the funny thing is, when I was teaching um, band at the middle school level, I played every single instrument. Um, I played flute in the flute lessons, clarinet in the clarinet lessons, and I was pretty decent. I was you know, if a kid was better than me, I was just they they usually got into the region or the or the county bands. Um, but, uh, when you do that, you kind of blow your own embouchure out of the water when you're, you know, you're playing clarinet and saxophone and trumpet right. and you're a tuba player. Uh, but yeah, anyway, we can, I think us all are, uh, us low brass players are, um, we're, we're kindred spirit. Keith Dye is a trombone player. Um, so yeah, it all makes sense now. Very cool. All right. So I'm going to shift the conversation, um, and talk a little bit about last year, um, and, you know, here you are 30 plus years into your career and then wham, um, the, you know, the, the sky is falling and, uh, I'd love to, if you can walk us through what happened at your program for like the 2020, 21, your last year and, um, how you navigated around it with technology, without technology, were you in person? Yeah. Just like the, tell us what happened. Well, a shock happened you know, uh, in March where, okay, you have to teach online a hundred percent. And I felt more comfortable than a lot of my colleagues. I watched all the posts on Facebook and watched, you know, what people, uh, scrambling to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? Especially older teachers that were not maybe as tech savvy as others. Although I consider myself pretty tech savvy. Um, and so I think a silver lining, in the pandemic was that it forced us to use technology. We had no choice. It was the only way that we could connect with our kids. Um, so we were forced out of our comfort zone to explore new ways uh, to engage students and keeping them moving forward in every way possible. And I think technology was more important last year than ever before. No, definitely. Yeah. And so at our school, I felt like, you know, we were pretty lucky because as soon as the pandemic hit and all that uh, science uh, was coming out of University of Colorado and Colorado State, I was feeding it to my administrators as soon as it was available. Like you don't, you know, don't shut us down. And they listened. Um, and so we were able to do pretty much a full cycle of performances through the year. Wow. Um, yeah. So we did like a full marching show. Uh, we performed three times, you know, even though, even though there was no football, we still, still did a halftime show for the parents and it was great, um, you know, with social distancing in the stands. So the kids got cheers and we did a, a live stream with bands of America at the end of the season, which was ended up being a culmination of the marching season for us. And it was you know, that was awesome. And then we did our holiday concert, although it was live streamed. Um, we did our February concert, although it was live streamed. We actually ran our Chicagoland Band Festival. At that point, we were able to bring eight uh, eight bands 
onto campus, um, you know, it was obviously very convoluted. Normally we have uh, 60 bands, right. that, or excuse me, 45 bands uh, on campus for that event. But eight was pushing it. We had eight that were virtual, but we made it happen. Our band, our top band performed the Persichetti Symphony. Oh, with, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was, uh, you know, I was wow. I was determined to make it happen. And uh, and everybody bought in. So it was really gratifying. And then we did our spring concert. So we do all those things. The biggest difference for us last year was obviously how we rehearsed. Right. We were able to do one rehearsal a night with each one of the ensembles, jazz bands, both concert bands, uh, small ensembles, everything, uh, one night a week. Um, but then during the class time, it was all technology. So they were completing uh, assignments. They were working in different formats. Um, you know that every every group was a little bit different, um, but we made it work and. Um, you know, I'll say that my frustrations with smart music, which I had used for many, many years, boiled to uh, a head. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out, you know, like I have to depend on this and it is not dependable. And I've been I realized that I've been dealing with a lot of issues that I was just tolerating and watching my kids, you know, grow more and more frustrated. So I reached out to some of my tech friends and they said, I don't even use smart music anymore. We're using music first. I'm like, well, what's music first? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I dug in and went down that rabbit hole and it was, uh, you know, it, it was a godsend to us. Um, it saved us really. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, the practice first specifically was um, a huge thing. And then, you know, because of the fact that um, we were not rehearsing as much and our process of learning the music was slowed down tremendously just because there was no in-person uh, learning, I, we were doing less music than I normally would do. So I began using sight reading factory, you know, just to keep their, yep. their reading skills up. And I had never used sight reading factory in that way, you know, where I was assigning it to students and they were uh, at some points of the year, it was every class they had to spend 10 minutes on sight reading factory. Um, and as we got closer to performances, maybe, you know, three or three times a week, they were using sight reading factory. Uh, but it definitely kept the reading skills up and, um, I'd always use Sight Reading Factory as uh, an audition thing uh, because I knew that with the algorithm, they would never have, even if the kids discovered Sight Reading Factory on their own right. and using it, they wouldn't have seen that sight reading in an audition. And then as I became more comfortable with it, we were using it regularly in class. So, you know, that, that became a really important tool for us as well. And then, you know, some of the other... Um, uh, technology that was, we started, well, we, we were using ultimate drill book before the pandemic. I started using it the year before, but with the limited amount of rehearsal time that we had with the marching band, that UDB ultimate drill book app was invaluable in the fall. Uh, so much information that, that enabled kids to learn the drill really, really quickly, which we really needed last year more than ever. Right. So, yeah, I mean that, you know, so those were some of the things that, that we did and compensated for last year. Um, you know, the concern 
that I have is, you know, as I'm talking to some of my colleagues, like, well, you know, we we had to use this technology last year uh, because we were forced to. And I don't think I need to use it now that we're done. And and I'm just kind of scratching my head. You were forced to learn something about technology that made your program better. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, and so you need to keep using that and just figure out a way to adjust now that the school year looks differently than it did last year. And it also should look differently than it did two years ago before the pandemic hit. What do we learn from the pandemic that can improve our programs and let's keep doing that, you know? Yeah. I mean, let me, let me uh, tell a, a quick story there. Cause you, you just said something that I was hoping you would get into. And that is that, uh, so I was a middle school band director for 15 years and I'm going to say something heretical. I cannot remember once in those 15 years using technology um, during my rehearsal time, other than an audio recorder or a metronome. Mm-hmm. Um, never. I didn't use it um, because I had such little time with them. Um, it, it just, I, I was, you know, if I had had something like Sight Reading Factory that I could project up onto a board, I left teaching in 2007. So if I had had something that I could show like sight reading activities, I would have loved it, but I, I just never used it. But when people say, well, then how can you say that technology belongs in, in ensembles? Well, it, it's all the time they're not with you, right? So my, my thought was always, I'm going to use this as a supplement as my assistant band director when I'm not there to teach them how to sight read, to, to give them ear trainings um, uh, examples, to give them music theory skills, to get them to record themselves on a, on a regular basis. I don't know in your private study, Scott, um, when, when I was studying privately, I had an, a, a lesson with the amazing Sam Palafian, who unfortunately oh, is yeah. no longer with us. Mm-hmm. And I drove up to Boston for a lesson with him. And the entire, I mean, I was such a huge fan of his. I couldn't, I had that traveling light album. I was so excited to meet him. And the entire lesson was how to record myself playing the tuba. It wasn't like, let's do some scales or let's go over some Hindemith or some Vaughn Williams. It was breathing. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. It was this, it was, it was how to, how to record myself. And I remember walking away from the lesson at 20 years old going, that was the biggest waste of my time. I I came all the way up here and all it was, was recording. He did a bit of the breathing, but it was mostly recording. Um, And the the funny thing is years later, that knowledge bomb went off. And I think, you know, when you hear yourself playing, it's the most incredible um, learning experience because what you hear in your head is not what comes out of your horn. So um, my, my question to you, and I'm getting to it is that, you know, pre pandemic, I always thought of technology as the way to improve the skill level of all the kids in my band, not during rehearsal time, but in their own time, in their practice, when they're home. And and to be honest, that's why I built Music First the way I did, was it was meant to be something that would supplement your program and help them when they're not with you. The original Music First ad was a kid sitting in his bedroom doing his music homework recording himself. So I'd love for you to, you know, what you got interested in technology, obviously, long before there was even a thought of a, of, of a pandemic hitting. Why did you get into technology? And, and what was your use like pre-pandemic? Well, I, you know, it's interesting you bring all those instances of, of technology up. Like, I, I fast, you know, go back 25 years when I was playing my trombone regularly, I never recorded myself. Um, because it wasn't easy to do it 
And, and now that I'm in retirement, I've taped myself several times and listening to that is like, Oh my God, you know, if I were the teacher listening to this student, I would be kicking them in the rear ends. You know, <laughs> So yeah, that, that, and same with conducting too, you know, the taping of that kind of thing. I remember when I was in college, they would tape us conducting and we were using the old beta, uh, Beta machine. Betamax. All right. Yeah, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, but I started, I can't imagine technology in my class. Uh, I can't imagine not using technology both in my class as well as assigning things outside of my class. It's such an integral part of everything that I've ever done, especially in the last 15 to 20 years. So you know, like you mentioned the cassette thing. That's that was my first use of technology. I think I started. I know I started when I was in Plainfield with that, which would have been in the mid '90s. Um, and you know, we had these. Old, I used. I gave kids old judging cassette tapes, and we yep. had the old beat up uh, cassette recorders, and they had to record themselves playing their music. And then I would have them give me a Xerox of their music, and I would mark it up with feedback. You know, and then. It evolved into smart music, uh, which at the time was that was uh, amazing. It was yeah, amazing. It, it really was. Um, and you know that shortened the learning curve for what our kids were doing. Um, and then you know I would say about 15, 10 years ago, I, I started using the Yamaha Harmony Director in class, which oh, cool. was Very oh cool. my god, you know that was a, a game changer. I was absolutely. Down in and, and all these band directors were using it. I'm like, what is this? Um, and so I figured out how to use it and it improved the intonation like immediately of the band. It was amazing. And I know that there's a lot of um, bells and whistles in Aurelia that can, you know, now there are things you can assign to kids outside of rehearsal that will help their tuning and their, um, and that, that concept of what, you know, kids don't know what in tune is, you know, that that's part in the past. They just had to pick it up because everyone around them was playing in tune. So it just happened by osmosis. But now with the technology that we have, we can make it a, um, a forced, um, intentional learning process. Um, and so, you know, so that, that was huge. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, those and I mentioned the, the drill ultimate drill book for, for yeah. drilling. I think all those technology pieces and tools were invaluable. Uh, I can't imagine teaching without them. And yet I know a lot of my colleagues, some of them younger than me, which is astounding, uh, haven't really picked them up and they, they've been resistant. Um, you know, especially with, uh, the, uh, smart music and practice first specifically. So, you know, last year it happened during the pandemic, but, you know, and I'll, I'll just say this, you know, the smart music version to me has become outdated because of the practice first, um, assessment is so rich in feedback that it gives kids. I mean, you know, in smart music it was the green and red notes and the kids are coming, you know, sending me these frustrating, frustrated emails or talking to me before, after class or in class, Mr. C, I know I played this thing right. And it's marking me wrong. And honestly, you know, eight times out of 10, they were actually playing it wrong. They just didn't know it. And they thought they were right. But you know, once we started using the practice first assessment where the kid could put their cursor over the note where it's marked wrong, and then the practice first assessment tells them what they're doing wrong, 
the stress level of kids went down tremendously. Oh, that's great. So, that's really cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, especially, especially during the pandemic, we don't need, we didn't need more stress. That's the truth. That is absolutely. <laughs> the truth. So you got, you got onto a topic, um, Scott, that I'd love to get your insight, especially um, from all the work that you've done outside of the classroom with National Band Association and Music for All, you 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 kind of have your fingers on the pulse of the band world, uh, at least here in the U.S. And that is that in my experience, and I'm a band director who loved computers, mostly from the composition side of things, but then along the way saw software that could help improve my kids' musicianship. But I can't tell you, I, I've been doing the, um, you know, the music technology kind of advocacy since 1988. I've been presenting at sessions, telling people how great it is. And in my humble opinion, one of the biggest groups to be incredibly resistant to any type of technology in their, you know, in their teaching practice are band directors. It's not just band, it's choir, it's orchestra, it's performance ensemble directors. And I always thought it was for the same reasons I had, which was, I don't have enough time. Like mm. my concert's coming. I need to get these kids in as best shape as possible. And that, that technology stuff might be nice and fun, but it, it, it's not going to make my, my, uh, you know, performance of Frank to Kelly's Shenandoah any better. So mm -hmm. I better, I better just keep, you know, cracking the whip and, and get down to it. And I think a lot of people fall into that camp. Um, and I wondered what your thoughts are or what would you tell, you know, now that you've kind of uh, what, what what I think is the best, one of the best attributes of somebody who has retired is that they've just got wisdom and um, they have a really clear rearview mirror um, in terms of, you know, what what went right, what didn't go right, all that kind of thing. What would you say to those teachers who are super resistant um, even, you know, going forth into the unknown of 2021, 22 in the ensemble world with technology. Well, I think, I think you hit it right on the head with, you know, there's a grind that you're, that you're going through. You got to get ready for the Friday night football game. If you're competitive, you got to get ready for that. When you're done, you have like six weeks to get ready for the holiday concert. When you're done with that, you've got an assessment that happens in the spring and you're uptight about that. And then, you know, getting to the end of the school year and starting the marching band thing all over again in late spring, early summer, you know, it's like, it's hard, you know, and you're trying to maintain a balance of life, uh, and work, you know, and being a happy person at the same time. And, and, you know, and so you get into that grind, you're like, I don't have time to deal with this, but the honest, you know, honestly, you don't have time to not dig into it. Hmm. Um, what I've found, you know, to me, technology should enable all the things that we've tried to do with our music programs forever. Um, you know, we want the best performance of our kids. And I just mentioned, you know, two tools to help intonation, uh, a, a big tool practice first with um, getting kids to assess. I mean, think about it. You know, the ideal situation when you walk into rehearsal is that all of your kids know all the notes and rhythms before you give the downbeat. And that's what practice first did. And it was even more important last year during the pandemic, because we only had one rehearsal a week. And so, you know, stressing the importance of getting those parts learned so that when we sat down, we were just, you know, problem solving the kids that problem solving with the kids in things that they couldn't get to in their assessment software in practice first. Right. 
um, you know, the things they couldn't figure out. We were getting to that. And then just the big picture stuff, ensemble togetherness, musicality, imagine musicality, <laughs> you know, and, and those big picture things that kids can't learn on their own, you right. know? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I can't imagine uh, life without technology. It, it, it just, you know, boggles the mind. And so when I'm talking to younger people and they can't, um, they, they can't drag themselves away from that grind because, you know, maybe they have little kids or dealing with that at home, or maybe they, you know, have other life things that are dragging them away from taking that extra time to become more comfortable with the technology. I mean, the honest opinion here's, this is, this is kind of interesting. I I've thought about this as I've gotten older, I've had to work harder to stay on top of technology. It just doesn't come to me easily and it's not easily available because I'm not on a million different social media platforms. Right, 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 right. But also as I've gotten older, it's gotten easier for students to understand the technology. So it's harder for me, easier for students, right? And so as a teacher, it's my obligation to figure out that way to make it as easy as possible for kids. And that's what technology does. Yeah. So. All right, so a, a little bit of a, a curveball, um, Scott. I, I'm I'm pretty sure you've thought about it, but I w- one of the most common questions I get right now, especially now that you know, I think in June every single music teacher in the country was thinking that September, August, September would be quote unquote back to normal, and then, you know, uh, this Delta thing comes along and and wreaks a little bit more havoc. Um, what do you? You know, people are talking about, oh, I took it, you know, they, they're taking hits to the numbers and their programs. And mm-hmm. um, for those people, uh, Scott, who might be looking at 2021, 22 going not again or, or not feeling what, what are your like words of encouragement or um, kind of what what advice would you give to folks heading into this next year? Um, you know, what do you what do you think is going to happen and, and what would you what would you tell them? Well. I think that we've learned from the lessons, you know, I want to, there are plenty of opportunities. Let me put it that way. Plenty of opportunities for us to learn uh, from the, from the situation that we were in a year ago. I I can't imagine that it would be as bad as it was a year ago. I mean, even if they completely shut us down, we know how to deal with that now. You know, we know how to do that. Um, And they're not going to, Uh, there are so many people vaccinated. I I mean, I, I can't imagine um, them shutting us completely down. But even if they do, we're ready for it. Yep. And, and if it happens, I can't imagine it's going to be long-term. And, you know, so moving forward, I, I mentioned this earlier, we, we have to keep doing those things that we learned last year. You know, all the technology that we became familiar with because we were forced to, let's use it uh, the way that we know that it can be used. Um, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as they say, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunities there, but um, you know, I think technology got us through last year and it should get us through whatever this Delta variant or any other variant that's going to, that may come up. We're, we're, we're ready for it. You know, it can't be as bad as last year. Yeah. Nothing can be. That was, uh, that was pretty. And I think the other thing is that, um, and I've, I've told this, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, that 
um, for again, having having advocated for use of technology in classrooms for you know over thirty years now, it took a pandemic for everybody to go. Okay, I'll try it. Um, yeah. you know what I'm saying. And now that it's here, uh, I don't I don't really see uh, a reason for it to go away. We've got this uh, uh, never uh, unprecedented amount of um, funding coming in through these ESSER funds, and schools are you know trying to figure out. You know, I, I think that. Schools are going to be have to be prepared. I don't, I don't think we're, I don't think the word COVID is going to uh, um, disappear from our lexicon anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it'll always be hopefully like something like the flu from now on, uh, or at least when this last little bit's over. But I do think that you know, having learned that, having you know, maybe not had the best learning conditions under which to learn it, but having being forced to use it. It's, it's a set of skills that hopefully people said, wow, this, yes, I would much have preferred to be swinging a stick in front of my students in my band hall or my choir room or my orchestra room. Um, but, but this worked and it got us through it. And I am hoping that, um, I mean, we're seeing it already with, uh, with our numbers for this year. I mean, people are absolutely coming back and saying we, you know, this, this worked out really well and, and we want to, uh, you know, continue using, which I'm, I'm excited about. Um, all right. So advice time, um, the, you know, everybody used it. Um, everybody had to, but not everybody used it to the best of its capabilities, or maybe they were using it under duress or whatever they had to. I I'm sure you're like me, Scott, and that if I never go on another zoom meeting again, I'll be a happy human being. Um, right. You know, from that, I'd much rather meet in person. But um, back to the advice thing, um, if you um, were to give advice to music teachers, um, any music teacher about incorporating music technology into their program, um, you know, what 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 advice would you give? You obviously, I mean, how did you learn it? Did you did you figure it out on your own or? It, it was from necessity. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and even more, I mean, here, I mean, that's what, like you said earlier, that's what forced us into the learning last year was necessity. But pre-pandemic, you were using smart music a lot. I mean, like what, what got you into that? Necessity. I knew that I, I needed to assess my kids. I knew that there were only so many hours in the day I needed to get home to be a dad, you know, um, and, and help, help raise my kids and be a part of their life. So, you know, for me, sitting down and listening to literally, um, you know, uh, 150 kids times eight minutes of music, that's a buttload of time. <laughs> sure and, is. Yeah. And so when smart music came along and, and I saw a way to spend less time and still assess my kids, I jumped at it and I forced myself to learn that that program. And then last year with, you know, my head's exploding um, and, and practice first showed itself. I forced myself to learn that because I knew the upfront time would be intense because I had to learn this, but the back end time after everybody got comfortable using the program uh, and not just practice first, but, you know, from my standpoint, the music first grade book, which made that whole process easier to keep all my record keeping in one place. And it was very user-friendly. Um, 
you know, that advice. So you're saying what, what advice make the time in your life to learn these technologies. Don't, you know, listen to people that you trust that are using these technologies. That's what I did. I went to two of my colleagues here in the Chicago area and said, I'm right. My head's exploding with smart music. What are you doing? And they tell me I'm not using it anymore. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, all right. So what are you using? And, you know, so I hope, people listen and, and, you know, dig into things that will help them uh, make their process easier. That's what technology should do. It should, it should help people. And if it's not, then we need to assess uh, how we're using it. And if we're using, if we're using it uh, at all. Um, And, you know, my experience is the technology things that, that I mentioned earlier have helped me, um, make things, make my life simpler and easier um, while not sacrificing expectations for students um, mm. and, and enhancing their learning, uh, shortening the learning curve from point A to point B because of technology. Yep. Yeah. All right. So now we get to the fun bit. Um, before I get to the one question, Scott, you've now been working for Music First for the past two months, and we absolutely love having you on board. Why don't you give our listeners a little um, a little overview of what, what it is that you're doing for us? Well, um, I think the biggest thing that I bring to the table for Music First is uh, advocacy. And um, this is the best kept secret, I think, in music education right now and singing the praises whenever I get the opportunity to do that is really, really important uh, for me because, you know, I like I've said this a hundred times. Um, I believed in music first before um, I started working for music first. I reached out to you and said, I love everything about That's this right. program. I, I like what uh, the support staff is doing. Uh, the salespeople were tr- tremendously helpful. Um, really quick responses. So, you know, this is the way I live my life and I think I'm a fit. So, you know, I, I think that aspect of what I bring the music first is important, but you know, the other things um, I, I'm a really, I'm a people person and I'm a literature person. Um, and so, you know, I'm digging into the literature side and hopefully making a difference there of, you know, the kind of assessment, uh, that we are able to do with a larger library of literature um, and, um, you know, just uh, interviewing other people and and getting ideas for how they use music first and then communicating that out, um, I think is really, really important. And, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of contributing to the literature library uh, from a software standpoint, you know, the just do it. <laughs> yeah. that, that's not my idea of what music ed should be, but it's like everything else. You have to roll up your sleeves and do the dirty work to, to get to the good stuff. So yeah, you know, those are all the things that, that I'm hopefully contributing. to. Oh, definitely. Music. Oh, definitely. And we love having you on our team, Scott. It's really uh, it's, 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 it's wonderful to hear from a, a very satisfied customer who then wants to come and uh, and and pitch in and lend a hand, and we're just thrilled that you're here. And for everybody, you know, Scott's looking at our literature in practice first. He's looking at our band courses, and you're going to see improvements over the coming months and years. And we're and again, Scott, we're we're very lucky to have you on our team. I'm excited to contribute. 
All right, so the final question, which I, I give to every guest, and as a former customer, uh, you get to answer it as well, which is if you could wave a magic wand, what would you want to have music first or music technology in general to be able to do that it can't do now? Okay, well, I think you know me well enough, yep. Jim, so far that, that I'm going to give you the truth because that's yep. what I do. Um, and the truth is that I think everything in the music first classroom is helpful depending upon the type of music program that you run in your school. You know, maybe you're more holistically based um, where, you know, theory and um, uh, music history and all that kind of stuff is more important to you maybe than the performance aspect or your program is more performance-based than holistically based. I think it's all in the music first classroom. And, and the more I've gotten to know the other aspects that are more foreign to me, the more I pressed I have been. So when you ask me what, what I could change, I think the only thing um, is, can it move faster? Can it be more intuitive? Are there less buttons to click to get yep. things done? You know, um, and, and that, you know, that's part of the learning curve of, of the music first classroom, figuring out which buttons to click to get to the next place. Um, and, you know, anything we can do to simplify that process, I think we'll have make the process easier for, um, for teachers. Not that it's a huge issue. It's, it's right, right, right. pretty user. It's pretty user friendly along those lines, but um, I see that, you know, maybe in the future of, of improving music first. Well, that's good for 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 the uh, for the nerds and the listening. The UI or UX, which is what developers call the user interface and the user experience, um, is extremely important to us. And anything we can do to streamline the number of clicks it takes to get to a certain spot. Um, believe it or not, we're thinking about it all the time. We're always looking of, of ways to make it faster and easier. Uh, and it's one of those things where this thing has grown up into this, uh, you know, really um, comprehensive approach. It, it, it is easier said than done, I'll put it that way, but yeah. it's something we are always looking for ways to do that. So I very much appreciate that. And if uh, Brad Smith is listening, take notes, Brad, we got to get at least one less click for all of our uh, functions. That'll be great. Sorry, Brad. No, it's all right. Well, Scott, it has been a, a real pleasure to speak with you uh, today. Thanks for helping kick off our fourth season. Um, and I think that uh, everybody listening um, uh, got something out of it. And, and I hope everyone has a, a great school year. But Scott, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. It's an honor and a pleasure. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.